Amen. I love that song. And I love the part where it says, there is nothing stronger. And then it says, we are ransomed by our Father. He calls us sons and daughters. And I would just like to say that God is the only perfect Father. And He has done the work for us to be sitting and standing here worshiping Him today. Are you grateful for Him this morning? Would you just give Him a round of applause of gratitude for what He has done? And that's a little bit of a segue, um, looking at God as our Father, into the topic that we are going to be thinking and and sharing about today. We are in the series, Let's Talk About Family, and uh, we are in the the fourth installment of the series, and today we're tackling parenting. Everybody's like, yes. No? Okay. Well, that was kind of awkward. Well, I hope you like what I have to say, and I hope it's encouraging. No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fine. I, uh, I'm not offended in any way because I am a parent and I know the struggles that come along with parenting. And I also know what it's like for somebody else to give you parenting advice and for you to not want to listen to them. So um, I hope that I don't come across that way at all today, but I hope that I encourage you. And I would say this too, that there is something here for everyone. It's not just for parents. I'm going to be speaking to parents, yes, but there is something here for everyone. Because I believe that we all have a role to play. Now, I thought I'd start with a story from my own childhood to kind of get us rolling today. When I was 14 years old, I was a pretty shrimpy 14 year old. I was about like this tall, probably. And um, I have two younger siblings. Uh, I have a sister that's two years younger than me. And so at 14, she would have been 12 or so. And then uh, my brother is the third, he was the baby. He was six years younger. So he was probably about eight at the time. And my parents had a dinner to go to, and it had to do with their alumni class reunion. I'm not sure what, and it happened to be close to our little town. We lived out in the middle of nowhere, and my dad still pastors to this day a small country church um, in western Pennsylvania, and our, our house was the parsonage that sat right next to the church that he was the pastor of. And so they uh, said, we're going to go to this dinner, and they usually got us a babysitter, but they I don't know if I had been good that week or whatever, but they were like, we think that you guys can stay home alone. Now, I'd seen the movies Home Alone, okay? So, but they said, Matt, you're in charge. And this was before the days of internet, cell phone, texting, nothing like that. So they said, in case of an emergency, here's the number to the restaurant. So if anything happens, you need to get a hold of us. Just call this number and ask for your parents and somebody will come get us and we'll come to the phone. And then, then in the next breath, they're like, but don't call unless there's blood, okay? Like, don't call for every little thing. It has to be a real emergency. Um, and so we said, okay. And then the second rule of the evening was, now again, we lived out in the middle of nowhere. We always left our doors unlocked, cars unlocked. It didn't, like, hardly anybody ever stopped by. But they said, in case somebody does stop by, do not, under any circumstances, answer the door, The door's gonna be locked. If somebody knocks, if somebody rings the doorbell, do not let them in, do not answer the door and call us right away. Okay, we got it. So I was probably playing Madden 93, I don't know, (laughs) something like that. And uh, my sister came in, everything was going pretty well. And my sister came in and she said, Matt, there's, there's a truck in the driveway. What do we do? 
I said, well, it's probably somebody we know. And so we look out the window and as my, in my memory, this is exactly what it looked like. It was a big white box truck and this was probably in the fall time and so it was already pitch black even though it wasn't that late. It was probably six or seven at night, completely dark though. The headlights were on and the truck was idling and I promise you the words kidnapper was written across the side of the, of the truck. If it didn't have those, that word, it sure looked exactly like a kidnapper truck would look like. And so gripped in fear, my siblings and I ran upstairs to hide. Pretty soon we heard the, the, the person ring the doorbell and a pound on the door, which was very kidnapper-like. And so we, we were, um, I, I'm not ashamed to admit this, I was, I was crying a little bit. My brother was also, he was, I was trying to comfort him and be the strong one, but my sister, to be honest, she wasn't scared at all. She was like, let's go say hi to the kidnapper. Let's see what they want, you know, like. And so she's like, it's probably somebody we know. We should just call the restaurant. Well, the phone, because it was on the wall, I know some of you kids don't understand that, but it was all the way downstairs. And so we were like, well, how do we get to the phone? And the kidnapper was looking in the windows. They were pounding on the windows. We could see them looking in. And uh, so we, 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 my brother and I voted that our sister should go get the phone. <laughs> and so, so she goes downstairs, gets the phone and, and calls mom and dad. And maybe we did have a cordless, I'm not sure, but she brought it to us and we called our parents. And my dad said, well, your mother's almost home. She took a ride with a friend and she wanted to get home to you kids earlier than, than I was. So she'll be home in just a few minutes. And uh, the kidnapper turned out to be just a Sunday school teacher from our church who was trying to make copies. But to this day, I know what he drove. I know his vehicles. He did not drive a kidnapper truck, okay? Like he chose that night. Anyways, so, but my parents, I would like to think that they had prepared us for that moment, and that's kind of what parenting is all about, is preparing our kids for the moments that they will face later in life. And so, now again, I, I, I said I'm a dad, um, but I am not an expert, okay? I am not going to be teaching at you or preaching at you. I'm still learning along this line. And as I, I mentioned before, I believe that there's something here for all of us because I also serve as our student pastor and over our next gen ministry. And one thing that I see is the need for not just parents, but for our entire church. And you probably heard it said like this, it takes a village, right? And so we all have a responsibility to play. So whether you're a mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, cousin, second cousin, friend, uh, acquaintance, have I missed anybody, <laughs> okay? <laughs> we all have a responsibility. In fact, Psalms 40, 48 says this, and this is a charge that we can apply to our lives as the church. It says to walk around Zion, go to her, number her towers, consider her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God. We have a responsibility to show the next generation and to tell them not only who God is, but what he has done and to shine a light on who he is. Now, what is parenting like? It can be overwhelming, amen? I got a, got a few. Um, I, as I said, I'm a dad. I have twins that are five years old. I have a daughter that's eight. And uh, 
I was in an airport. My wife and I did a really dumb thing. We took a trip with our, with our kids. The twins were just six months old. And uh, we were walking through an airport and uh, with these two little babies and everybody looked at us like we were crazy and we were. And uh, a father turned to me and he said, I have twin daughters that are 21 years old you will not remember this. <laughs> and so like his point was this whole day, this whole season you're in is, is gonna be nothing but a blur. And the great theologian Jim Gaffigan said, do you wanna know what parenting's like? Imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. That's what parenting is like. <laughs> so, so I get that parenting can sometimes be overwhelming. It can be exhausting. It can be confusing. I have my own doubts. I make my own mistakes. But I believe that that is not an excuse to let us off the hook and just say, well, I don't know what to do. And, and so it's just gonna, they're gonna have to figure it out on their own. We have a role to play. Now, uh, most of us, uh, we probably, um, we probably put parents into two categories. There's sort of the, and I would say there's two styles of parenting that most of us think of. There's the authoritarian style of parenting, which um, my parents thought was a really good idea. Um, and, and so, sorry, mom and dad, if you're watching, but um, my childhood, and there was some, there's some good reason in this, okay? Because part of the role of parenting is to instill good moral character and to correct misbehavior. But the authoritarian style of parenting says, do this or don't do that or else. Time out, discipline, you get the picture. And even though that there is a good motivation here in this style of parenting, it's an incomplete style of parenting because often the goal of this style of parenting is just to modify behavior. And sometimes it's very, very easy, and I've been there, trust me, um, I have tried to correct misbehavior in my kids because of my own embarrassment. Has anybody ever been there or is it just me? Okay. And see, if I'm just worried about my own perception as a dad or a parent, then I'm not, I'm not embracing the complete role of being a dad. And so I would say the authoritarian style of parenting, though it starts from a good place and we should correct misbehavior, it often can be incomplete. Then uh, a few decades ago, there was a reaction against this authoritarian style of parenting to become more of a, and I would call it a permissive style of parenting where you negotiate and you let children make a lot of their own choices. And there's some good in that because they do need to understand how to make good, wise choices and live with the consequences. But often this style of parenting can devolve into, I just want my kids to like me. I want us to be friends. And if we have a good relationship, then they are gonna be more likely to follow my example or do the things that I want them to do. But again, the goal of this, success is defined, if success in parenting is defined, will my kids love me or like me? I would say that's again, a short-sighted view of parenting. We're not embracing a complete picture of parenting. And though there are some good things, it's not complete. And so what I believe that we need to embrace is what I would call a biblical style of parenting. We need to have a biblical approach to parenting. And we need to believe, and this starts with a belief that we know and, and embrace the idea that God has created our children in his image 
And our goal is not just to correct their behavior, not just to have them like us or do what we want them to do, but our goal is to send them out to make a difference in the world. And I would also add to this, success in this style of parenting is defined by how their heart responds to the values and voice of God. And I would say this, my main thought for us today is that this generation needs biblical parents who don't just modify behavior and their emotion, but train the heart. We need to train the heart. In fact, Proverbs 22, six says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, is there some behavior correction in this? Yes. Is there some um, teaching them to make wise choices? Yes. But it needs to be complete in that we want to train their heart, not just so that we look good, but so that they can make a difference. Deuteronomy 6, 5 also says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. Then it goes on, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, our constant everyday focus is to train the heart and to oppress upon their hearts the character of God, to love God, to embrace God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so um, now, I, I don't have a lot of time and we could probably spend an entire series on parenting. We could probably do a seminar. We could probably have like conferences, Q&A, all that kind of stuff. I have 20 minutes, okay? And this is not going to be a complete list of all the characteristics of being a biblical parent, but I think this is a good start. So I wanna give you four things that are characteristics of a biblical parent. First of all, a biblical parent is consistent. A, a biblical parent is consistent, consistent in love, consistent in boundaries, consistent in discipline, and consistent in presence. I'm gonna preach to myself a little bit because um, I have a phone in my pocket. And one of the things that my wife is good about, it's, it's not good in the moment, it's, it's actually irritating in the moment, but it's good. Because we'll be sitting at the dinner table and I will pull out my phone. And she'll be like, put your phone away. I'm like, I am the father of this home <laughs> and I will do what I... But you know what, her, what she's trying to impress is like you're present, but you're not present. Be consistent in your presence. Be consistent in your discipline. Now we, we know, like it makes common sense, be consistent love be consistent in, in our actions. But I would press into this by saying, do your words and your actions line up? Do your kids hear the words I love you and then see or experience an action of love from you? Do your words and actions line up? Does your own personal integrity, is that, is that obvious to them? Do they see consistency in your life? We just sang a song about God's faithfulness. And I would ask this question, do your kids, do, do, do the young people of this world see consistency or faithfulness in us? Or do they see hypocrites? Or do they see flakes? Or do they see people that say one thing and do another? 
Because whatever, however we're living, whether we're parents or, or family members or friends, we are sending messages to our young people and they are listening. And if we're not people who are consistent, steadfast and faithful, how will they know what that looks like for their children? Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says this, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. You bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. There it is, impress it upon your own heart. Then you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and of man. And I would say in, included in that is your family. Some people have defined integrity like this, having the love and respect of the people that know you the best, who are closest to you. It's easy to put a, a, a good front on in public when you're not in your home or when you're out among other people and to be kind and, and giving and all that good stuff. But when you're in your home, do your kids see the same person at home? That's what I mean by being consistent. Secondly, a biblical parent will be anticipatory, anticipatory. And some of you are like, is that a word? And I was like, yeah, it is. I, I had to look it up though, to make sure. Um, but anticipatory. And here's what I mean by being anticipatory parents. We should be willing to take some time, regular time, and anticipate what our children could face in the future and write out language and action response should they walk through something in the future. Now, I'll give you an example of this. So my daughter is eight years old. She does not have a boyfriend. It's my choice right now, I'll be totally honest. Actually, it's her choice too, she's not even interested, which thank God, but anyways. But um, some of her friends are interested in boyfriends who are her age. And they're like, Carly, who's your boyfriend? And I'm like, you're not having a boyfriend, not till you're 47. And so like, and I am taking admittedly an authoritarian approach on this one, okay? Like, so, um, but here's what I need to do as a dad and her mother and I need to work on this together is we need to prepare her for that stage of life where, when she could have a boyfriend. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm gonna go home today and at eight years old, I'm gonna teach her how a first date should go and what proper romance looks like and blah, blah, blah. We're not gonna talk about any of that. Again, not till she's 47. So what we're going to do though is we're going to do things like reward and celebrate honesty because we know that that is going to serve her well in her future marriage to be open and honest with her future husband. We're going to anticipate the values that we know are, are healthy in our marriage. We're gonna try to impress some of those in her and on her, at, at this stage of life. Now again, she's not gonna get a dating talk or anything like that for a while but we can still anticipate that that is something she will probably experience and we need to, as parents, say, what does she need to know today? What is the foundation we need to be focused on today so that it will serve her well in the future? And we do this in other areas of our life. And uh, we, like, for example, like my kids are in school, okay? They're learning how to read. I know that they're gonna, the goal is not just so that they can read, it's so that they can communicate properly in adulthood. And so I'm taking steps, we're all taking steps to educate our children at a young age because we know that they're going to use those skills later in life. When it comes to the matters of the heart, we need to be doing the same thing. 
Does that make sense? To impress upon them the values of kindness, gentleness, serving others, being honest. The list goes on. But we need to be anticipatory in our parenting. Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear my son your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and penance for your neck. In other words, your children will be so much better off if you train them today for what is to come to tomorrow. Thirdly, one of the third characteristic of being a biblical parent, and this probably could go without saying, but there's something really cool here, and that is to be a nurturing parent. And again, I know this, you're like, well, yeah, I know that, but I wanna press into something here because there's a great example found in Matthew 17 that even when I became an adult, in fact, I'm looking back here, Kit Scott led a Bible study for uh, men here several years ago. I think it was called Authentic Manhood. And uh, in that study, Robert Lewis, um, the, the presenter in that Bible study, talked about this very thing, and I wanna share it with you today. It's that every man and every, every child, every person needs to hear the words, I love you and I'm proud of you. I love you and I'm proud of you. And I'll just be honest, like hearing my own father's story about his childhood, he was one of those kids that, who had a dad who he knew his father loved him, but he never heard it. My, my grandfather was a World War II veteran, had been in a little bit of combat, nothing major, but he had been in some combat, had been wounded. But that generation largely came home from the experiences of war and didn't know exactly how to handle um, emotional intimacy with their spouse or their kids. And so they were just cold and withdrawn, a lot of them. And my grandfather was kind of in that boat. He was a loving dad, his actions spoke love, but it wasn't in his words. And so my father admitted to me that he probably only heard the words I love you from his dad about once or twice his entire life. Now I'm grateful that my father reversed that order and he determined that his kids would not experience what he did. And so I experienced the reverse. I heard I love you, I'm proud of you almost every single day of my life. And I didn't realize how much of a gift that was until I became into adulthood. And some of my own insecurities began to bubble to the surface. And, and, you know, like when you're trying to make your way in the world as a young adult and trying to figure out what you're gonna do with your life, that foundation of knowing my parents loved me and that they were proud of me served me so well. And to this day, as someone who's almost 40, I don't ever tire from hearing it. And even though I know it, I, lo I love hearing the words, I love you, I'm proud of you, even from my own father. And kids today, this generation today, needs to have parents that say, I love you and I'm proud of you. Now, what's so cool about this is that the heavenly father did this for his son, Jesus. In Matthew 17, five, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people and it says in verse five, it says, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice, an audible voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, Jesus received this same affirmation. This is my beloved son, Jesus, I love you. And in you, I am well pleased, I'm proud of you. And I would submit to you this idea that if Jesus needed to hear it from his father, how much more do we need to hear it from ours? 
And I would also pause here and say, as adults, there, I know that there's some people sitting here that experienced something along the line that my dad experienced, didn't hear I love you, didn't hear I'm proud of you, maybe even came from a, a broken home where that wasn't even on the radar. But God is still the only perfect father. He is a good father and he says that he will fill that void. He will be a father to the fatherless. And if you haven't heard that and if you haven't received that message, God wants to send you that same message to you. He is proud of you. He loves you. And I would submit to you that if you need that to go to your heavenly father, he's the only perfect father. And I had a great dad, he, he's my hero, but even he fell short in some ways and I'm trying to do my best and I'm trying to do my due diligence, but I know that I'm going to fail. And my saving grace is to point my own children to the perfect father and say, kids, your heavenly father loves you. He's proud of you. They need to hear that from me, but when I fall short, they can hear it from him. Now, again, that's not a cop-out for us to say, well, I don't have to do anything. They can just get it from God. No, we are God's mouthpiece in this moment. And fourthly, I would say biblical parents, not only consistent, anticipatory, nurturing, but we are clarifying. We clarify some things in our, in our kids. And I would say the biggest thing that we are supposed to clarify for them is their identity. And this is a little bit of my soapbox for the message because I, as a student pastor, see a generation that doesn't know who they are. And that's, let me just pause here and say, and that's, that's probably our fault. For 10,000 years, the human race has understood clearly how to define and who to define um, their kid's identity. Okay, you're my son, you're my daughter, that's who you are. Basic. The other thing that God does for Jesus in that same verse, if you read on that, there's a few, there's three words at the end. He says, not only this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, but he says, listen to him. And this is a clue into the father um, clarifying the identity of Jesus, not only to him, but to the people around him. In other words, he's saying, Jesus is the one I have sent to you. He is here to teach you, to guide you, to love you, to be an example to you, and you all need to listen to what he has to say. In other words, God was de defining his purpose. He was clarifying the purpose of Jesus. And we as parents and as a church, we need to be willing to have the courage to step into this generation and say, this is who you are and this is your purpose. Okay, I need a bigger amen on that one, okay? We need to, as people, as the church and as parents, step into this next generation and tell them who they are and clarify their purpose. Do you agree? And I'm convinced that there's some confusion in this area. Not, it's not the young, it's not this next generation's fault. It's our fault. We have forgotten to tell them who they are. And if you're wondering who they are, it's the same as who we are. Every single person, the first building block of every single person is that we are created in the image of God as his son or his daughters. That is the first building block of every single person's identity. It is the same across every race, across every generation, across every era. 
it's unchanging. Every single person's first building block of their identity is that we are created in the image of the Most High God, and that is non-negotiable. Now, here's what that means. My note taker iPad thing that I'm reading off of here, it didn't create itself. It didn't assign its own identity. Who created it? Well, I don't know. Apple, I guess. They were the ones who said, that's an iPad. And the logic remains the same for you and I. We don't get to assign our own identity. The creator has already done so. And that doesn't devalue us to a simple tool or a piece of technology or make us any less valuable in God's sight. We are elevated because God says that's who we are. And he defines who we are. Now we can become self-aware, we can grow, and as we get older we go, this is who I am. I see who God created me to be, but he assigns that identity. We don't choose that. In fact, this is an incredibly freeing concept. Timothy Keller said, the Christian identity is the only identity that is not achieved but received. You see, if you try to choose a different identity, if you and I try to choose to be something other than we were created to be, we are a slave to whatever that is. If I wanna be a great athlete or whatever, I've gotta be a slave to that process. I've gotta work hard, I've gotta nutrition myself properly, I've gotta spend time and sacrifice, and I have to work incredibly hard for something that maybe a lot of people think is cool, but I have become a slave to that whether it, maybe it's success in business or maybe it's success in school, but whatever it is, whatever identity we try to choose to become, we become a slave to that. But the Christian identity says you can't do anything to achieve God's forgiveness. You can't do anything to achieve God's favor or love. You receive it freely. And that is the message of the gospel is that it creates in us a freedom that the world doesn't have any capacity to offer to us. It is the only identity that doesn't depend on our work. It is the only identity that is freely given and received. And I'm grateful for that, that Jesus has done that for us. And so he clarifies our identity. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, he says this, for we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in other words, he had you and I in mind before this world, world's foundation was ever laid and we are given this life not because it's just for us, but it's for his glory. And he has prepared an incredible, free, life-giving uh, time for us to walk in here today because he loves us. Now, um, I have a few moments and I'm gonna hurry towards the end. Um, do you guys know what an EDC is? Anybody know what EDC is? Okay, I have a few pictures up here. Guys, show that first picture if you will. Um, this is what, you might see this on um, Instagram or social media or whatever. This is kind of an example of an EDC. And the, the letters EDC simply stand for everyday carry. Now an everyday carry gives us some insight into what a person is preparing for. And I believe that parents, we need to have an EDC and everyday carry when it comes to our responsibility as parents. Guys, go to the next slide. 
Um, here's another example of an EDC carry. Now, this is a little bit different purpose. This guy is obviously afraid that people are gonna come after him, and so he is prepared for that. Um, he has some weapons, he's got a phone, he's got a wedding ring. So this gives us some clues into what is in his mindset uh, for the day. It tells us he's in a relationship and that he's, he's going to defend himself if necessary. Okay, go to the next slide. Now, this is a different type of... Uh, EDC. This is more of a survival kit. So there's actually some rope, there's a, an emergency sleeping bag, a canteen, a compass, some survival tools. This guy has, he's not preparing just for whatever may come. He is preparing for something very, very specific. Okay. Now, um, I believe that parents need to have an everyday carry, okay? It, it, it prepares us for what is to come and we need to decide whether we need to be, be prepared for anything or if we need to be, be prepared for something specific. And I believe that there are at least four things that a parent should have in their everyday carry, okay? And they're not knives and weapons and ropes and sleeping bags, okay? Here's the first one and these are in your notes. Here's what a parent needs to carry with them every single day and that is integrity. I touched on this when it came to being consistent, but we need to carry with us integrity. How many of you have ever ridden a roller coaster? Anybody? Some of you are like, I'm on the parenting roller coaster. That's what I'm on. So um, I have ridden a roller coaster before. I rode a wooden one when I was a teenager and I was like, never doing that again. And uh, so, it creaked and moved and all kinds of weird stuff. So when I ride roller coasters today, I value my life and so I ride the new ones, okay? The new ones that look like whoever built them is still alive, okay? And so I trust the integrity of that roller coaster. Now I know something bad could probably still happen, but my, the reason I choose the newer ones is because I trust their structural integrity. This generation, our kids, they need to trust our integrity. We need to be there for them. We need to be dependable, trustworthy, unimpaired, clear in our thinking. Let's be people of integrity. I would love to press in more on that, but my time's running out. The second thing that a parent needs to carry with them every single day is wisdom. And this is not just having all the answers and being the smartest parent ever, but wisdom is having the desire to learn, being willing to learn and apply what you know. Be proactive. Take a step into a difficult place. In fact, I'll read you a quote. Um, Andy Stanley, um, he defined leadership uh, as this. He said that, Leadership is being willing to do what everyone knows should be done but won't do themselves. And there are times when you as a parent, you'll look around and you'll be like, okay, if I do this, I'm gonna feel kind of alone on this one. But if it's the right thing, we need, and it's filled with wisdom, and it's being proactive, it's based on good things, good, good information, we need to have the courage to step in and do that. So apply wisdom, carry wisdom with you. Thirdly, carry humility with you. Be willing to place your child's needs above your own. I would also say, be willing to make memories. Spend time with your kids. Spend time with a young person. Invest in them. Create a moment of fun with them. You'll be, you'll be surprised how often those moments turn into meaningful conversations when you take some time to show your care and affection towards your kids. But I would also say with humility is be willing to say you're sorry. Be willing to back up and say, hey, I made, I made a mistake. I used the wrong tone of voice. I used the wrong words. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. 
And I'll tell you that in my experience, five-year-olds forgive really quickly. In fact, it's such a cool moment when they say, I forgive you, daddy. It makes me wanna mess up, like then apologize just so like we can have that little moment again. It's so cool. But building that in them when they are young will make it easier when they are older. And, and some of you are sitting here, well, I've messed up and my kids are out of the house and I don't know what to do. There's still an opportunity to exercise humility. Fourthly, and this kind of covers all of them, but have courage, stand firm, stand unashamed on the principles of God. I already talked about clarifying their identity, be willing to be different. In fact, I was toying with the idea of this world needs weird parents. We need to be willing to be not normal in this era. Normal is not cool, it's not healthy in 2021. We need to be willing to be different and that's gonna take some courage. And see, um, church, I'll just end with this. Church, we have to stop um, allowing this generation to just to self-direct themselves. In fact, the research tells us that Generation Z um, is the most self-directed generation ever. They need guidance. They need consistency. They need somebody with wisdom. They need to see what humility looks like. They need people of courage to invest in their lives. And it is our job to press into the specifics of what this looks like. We need to remind them that God created them. We need to provide a consistent place for them to come home to that is secure and safe and fun. As they get older, we need to affirm the skills and the the talents that are God-given. We need to provide challenge and work opportunities that will help them grow. We need to encourage them on this journey. We need to help them get up when they fail. We need to cheer them when they succeed. We need to talk to them even when they don't want to. I'm not there yet, but teenage years are coming. We need to anticipate life events before they happen and prepare what we will do and how we will respond when those times come. We need to keep them thinking about eternity, help them see beyond the weekend thrills and above all else, impress on their hearts the values of God and the character of an upright person. We need to reward their honesty, reward their integrity, their kindness, their generosity and service of others. We need to discourage their dishonesty, their meanness, their selfishness and their self-centered attitudes that so are, <laughs> they're often so naturally in ourselves as well. We need to be willing to search out the internet or books or tools and resources to equip us to parent in, in a more biblical way. And above all else, we need to pray and pray and ask God for strength and wisdom. We need to pray with our kids, pray over our kids and remind them that God created them and that he loves them. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you are proud of them and tell them what they're good at. Shine a light on their skills, their identity and I promise you, I promise you, you will not regret any of it. And finally, just to put a bow on all of this is point them to the only perfect father, the the heavenly father who loves them even more than we do and do our best to communicate on his behalf, be his mouthpiece into their lives, amen? Well, let's stand and let's pray and let's ask God to help us to be what we need to be as parents and as a church for this generation. Father, I'm grateful that you are the perfect father. You are our example. You meet our needs. You give us wisdom. You are an example of humility. You give us courage. Lord, you embody these things and so much more. And I pray that we would lean heavily on you as we attempt to step into 
the lives of the young people around us, Lord. Uh, I pray that they would see you in us. They, they would see um, integrity in us and faithfulness in us. And they would sense um, who you are through the, the, the way that we live. God, help us to be parents. Help us to be a church that shines a light on who they are to answer their questions and to um, step into their doubts. God, I pray that Grace Bible would make a difference in this, in this world. And Lord, I pray for the families and the students that are going through it, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that they would find you, seek you first. And Lord, just guide them wherever they are right now, I pray. Lord, we love you. Go with us the rest of this day. And Lord, we just give the future to you. We, we know we can trust you. In your name I pray, amen. As quickly as you go, there is a donation drive for the, uh, the women's shelter that was mentioned early in the service. They're, the people that are uh, running that are out here by the missions wall. They can answer your questions. And um, if you would like to help with that, just see them. And uh, we'd also be grateful. And it's an easy way to make a difference. So thank you guys for your attention and being here. You guys are dismissed. <laughs>